Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome once again to In Transition, the podcast that examines the practice of content communication in government. My name's David Pembroke, and thank you very much for joining me once again this week. We will have a great guest as we do each week, uh, and a really good guest this week who's got a really fascinating background as it relates to content communication. She was a, a great journalist, a really important journalist, and a journalist who did a number of um, fantastic stories for some of the biggest news organisations in Australia, but now and has worked in government communication for some time. So has a great background, but we'll come to her in just a moment. But before we do, we start as we do each week with the definition of just exactly what is content communication. So it's a strategic, measurable and accountable business process. And I might just say an evidence-based business process that relies on the creation, curation and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content. The purpose is to engage and inform a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen and or stakeholder action. So that's what we're talking about. And we will speak about content communication today with my guest, Ruth Dewsbury. And Ruth is the Senior Director of Communications at the Department of the Environment and Energy here in Canberra, Australia. Ruth oversees the department's external engagement and communications, including media and social media. Her career began as a print journalist on the West Australian and the Sydney Morning Herald before she moved into politics as an Australian government ministerial media advisor and speechwriter. Her career in government communications includes working with the departments of Prime Minister and Cabinet, Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry, and most recently with Environment, who she is with at the moment, in their various sort of incarnations. She's also worked on domestic and international strategies and campaigns ranging from forest management and biodiversity through to energy efficiency and climate change. Ruth Dewsbury, thanks very much for joining us in Transition. Great to be here. Ruth, journalism and the skills of journalism are really becoming more relevant, aren't they, Um, on a on, on, the, on having an impact on the way government, you know, tells its story and, and communicates. Just from your point of view, that transition that you made from journalism into, it was politics, first of all. Take us through that. What, what led you to make the, make the jump? Um, I think what motivates many people from um, journalism to move into politics or, or um, government communications is the need to feel that you can make some sort of an impact on policies and programs rather than just passively reporting on them. Um, uh, Some journalists have fabulous careers affecting change through their journalism. Um, And people like Kate McClymont come to mind with um, what they've achieved through their crime reporting. Um, But many journalists feel that um, what they've learnt... Uh, the beauty of journalism is that you range over so many different topics in your career and you cover it from so many different perspectives. Um, but there comes a time when you think, well, it'd be really nice to actually effect a change yes. here and be part of something that's bigger and um, targeted achievements. It's interesting you say that because that's pretty much my was my motivation to move out of journalism because I love journalism because it is, you know, the, the front row seat 
as history takes place and it's wonderful access and privilege to be there as close as you are. But I found I got frustrated with thinking I was reporting about what other people were doing as opposed to actually I could go and do something as opposed to report what other people were doing. So I think there was, for me anyway, there was that not a frustration as such, but probably that next stage of my career, I wanted to sort of move to mm. do exactly was you to have more, a more direct impact. Mm, precisely. By be, being able to apply those skills. Mm, be part of the action. And in terms of those skills, what were the what were the skills that you found directly attributable to make you as effective in that role as media advisor and speechwriter as you were working with in the ministerial area? Well, I think it comes down to what people very simply describe these days as storytelling. Um, you know, I find it quite um, amusing that there are whole conferences dedicated to <laughs> stories and storytelling because for people who've um, been trained in journalism, it's second nature. And um, the thought that you need to learn how to tell a story is an interesting one for a professional communicator. So I think you bring those skills, you bring those that training with you and you're able to translate um policy ideas and um, government department visions into compelling stories for your target audience. And journalism also helps you understand who those audiences are. And you can perceive and understand issues from a range of different perspectives. And I think sometimes if you come through one particular discipline that is um, very targeted, you will only see things from, say, you know, the science perspective or the um, the doctor's perspective if you're in the health industry or, you know, on, on you could go indefinitely. And the beauty of journalism um, is that you have the broad range of inputs and outputs and you can see where a story is going to go and you can influence where it will go by understanding the reactions to it. But how did you deal with that different context, sitting in a newsroom, belting out a, a you know, a, a story or a yarn as everyone calls them, how, once you move into a political context, um, political environment, what was that challenge then of, you know, applying the skills of storytelling, but doing so in a political environment that is um, contestable, often chaotic, often uh contested by lots of different, you know, not only from, you know, contested not only from the opposition but from your own side as well. You know, it's a it's a fraught sort of environment for storytelling. It is. It's very difficult to navigate when you're a newbie and you've come straight from a newsroom where every story is a good story potentially. <laughs> um, and in government yeah. every story is not potentially a good story and sometimes no story is the best story. So um, it is quite a, a new skill that people learn when they move into government communications. Um, to have the main ga- the main game is really the policy or program outcome that you want to achieve, and um, that's your starting point. And how long did it take you to work work that out? That it was the about the policy, the program, the service, the regulation, that particular behavioural outcome that you were looking to achieve. How how long did you take you to work out? Well, that, I th- okay, that's where I've got to put my focus. That's my north star because if I as soon as I get involved in other things, I you know I can find myself on the you know, the mouse wheel spinning around. Yeah, well, there's nothing like starting off in a minister's office to focus focus your attention on what's important. There are plenty okay. of people who are going to help you in that regard. <laughs> <laughs> to focus on what's important yeah, or to, to focus, distract you? Well, a bit of both, really. Mm. Um, but you do learn pretty quickly that the main game is to communicate to achieve the outcome. Yeah. And that is not something that you're trained to do in journalism. Yeah. 
Um, you may be trained to influence the debate by bringing, you know, raising awareness or exploring issues that um, audiences will be interested in, but you don't have a responsibility um, to communicate in a way that is achieves responsible pay, you know, responsible um, taxpayers accountability, or that is um, can be evaluated and reported on regularly, um, and that it uh, ultimately you're accountable as a government communicator in the same way that your political masters are. Yeah. Now, as a, a obviously a, a communicator at a ministerial level, a, a lot of the, a lot of our audience are people who work in uh, government communication in similar roles that actually the role that you're in at the moment. Um, but there is always that interesting relationship between uh, the political and the and the bureaucratic, and how how best to to serve you know the political masters in order that you know their policies and programs and services regulation that you know those objectives that you're looking for um, can be achieved. So as somebody who has worked in both, what's your advice to people who? who work in the government in terms of that service to the political level? What are the sorts of things that they should be focused on to provide the best possible service to those, to their political masters? Um, I think one area of focus which you'd bring from journalism is accuracy. Yep. You have to be absolutely um, fact-based and um, there's often a misperception that if you're working in government communications, your job is spin and that's... Um, that's highly unfair, I think, to the vast majority of government communicators. Yeah. Um, and I've. But does the spin take place at the ministerial level, or does the spin take place at the government level? I'd probably argue that you know it's the it, it's the positioning at the political level that puts the best possible light on whatever the reality that's right. is. That's right. You know, as opposed to the government, the, the the government communicator who is really trying to serve up a. That's right. You know, I mean, on the one hand, you know, all communicators need to tell a story, and it needs to be compelling and engaging for your audience. Yeah. Um, but. That doesn't mean that it has to have a political slant either way. Um, And I found in my experience working with, I've worked with six environment ministers over the last decade or so, Mm -hmm. and um, consistently, no matter what political persuasion they are, um, if advice is based on good evidence, um, it's simply and plainly put, and you you can see how the communication achieves an outcome, the minister's office will be very glad to take that advice. They might put a political spin on it when, you know, the media advisor might massage it a bit and um, and put their own political slant on it mm. that comes from Cabinet or their own political masters. But on the whole, if you, so if you deliver quality, well-written, evidence-based stories mm-hmm. and facts, they will be used and they'll be used productively. And so how, what is the best form in which to communicate that in, in, into those political offices? You know, is it important that you are uh, in front of those people to make sure that you, you're presenting your side of the story? Is it, make, is it best that they be written well? Is it best that you, they need to have strong visual uh, elements to those presentations that you're making into the ministerial offices? What's the, what's the best well, way to get the message through? I'm not sure that there's one... Um, best way for okay. all or all ministers. Um, ministers have very different styles yep. for their own communications and they've got different ways of processing information. And we've had some ministers that will devour briefs 
and want to absorb all the um, all the possible background and before they will digest it and communicate it. Yep. Other ministers who want, uh, you know, five short, sharp dot points. Yep. That's all they need. Then you have others who love infographics and that's how they consume their information. And um, you need to be able to meet all those demands, basically. So it's a good idea when you have a new minister coming in, um, the head of communications needs to be very mindful of what's their preferred mode Mm. Um, and what's their style, what's their writing style, what's their speaking style and uh, what floats their boat, basically. <laughs> you know, I mean, some... <laughs> well, that's true. Some of them like to talk a lot. Some of them like to talk a little. Some of yeah. them, you know... Some of them will respond to... Some of them will pick up and run with an, an item passionately. Um, we've had, you know, ministers who've been very engaged and very passionate and often go di- divert from the script in a way that sometimes isn't helpful. Um, but then you've had other ministers who are absolutely beholden, you know, really focused on the facts. Yeah. And they will go through the facts. And so you need to present the facts in a way that's actually interesting and meaningful. Yeah. Because there's nothing more boring than just running through a list of statistics. Sure. Yeah, but again, it, it, that's right. And that skill, that journalism skill, again, of being yeah. able to turn it, turn a set of facts into a narrative that is then able to, you That's know, right. assist gonna, the yeah. story to be told. And to provide a, um, a sort of core of information that can be used for a whole range of different channels. Hmm. So you can, you know, you've got the basic story and you can run it as a, you know, as a podcast or you can um, have it as an op-ed hmm. or a series of tweets or however you want to present it. It's the same story and you probably have the same up to three key messages, which we all know is the the secret formula. Um, so basically deciding on your top messages is, is you know, priority number one. Mm-hmm. And then how you package it depends on your audience, which includes your ministerial audience. So you've been around, obviously, a while, as I have, and things have changed so dramatically um, in the way that we go about our business, which is where and this content communication thing um, is taking off, this notion of being able to, you know, build capability um, within organisations, within government organisations, so as that they can go direct. So that over time they can build trust um, through the publishing of useful, relevant and consistent content to engage those audiences. And while obviously media channels are always important, advertising channels are always important, there is this ability to be able to... Um, use your journalism skills to, you know, tell a story and, and you know, be able to go out there and, as I say, build build those relationships. As someone who's, you know, working in the space, what what do you, how do you see government, and I suppose a bit bro- it's a broadish sort of question, but how well are we doing in terms of being able to grab a hold of this gift um, that technology's now given us in this ability, you know, the factors of media production and distribution have now been democratised. How well are we doing at being able to use that in order for us to um, help the government achieve the objectives that they've been elected to to put in place? Um, I think we're not doing too badly, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I think some departments are, you know, doing it better than others. Mm. Um, some have absolutely, you know, some have no choice uh, particularly the big program delivery departments, they have to get the material out there and they have to. it has to be accurate and efficient and they, they have to do it. Um, it's more of a challenge for policy departments like ours, I think, mm-hmm. where we have... Um, it's not quite so clear 
who exactly who our target audiences are. Yep. We know broadly who they are sectorally, but we don't have the sort of direct engagement that some of the program departments have. Yep. So, um, but on the other hand, um, our department is quite blessed in that our content is fantastic. Yeah. We have such a rich source of content yeah. and it comes both from the scientific research side. There's lots of science, as there should be underpinning environment policy. Yep. So we have, um, we have a weekly newsletter that goes out called The Chirp, <laughs> which is because it's much more than a tweet. Um, and usually that has about four or five stories in it, which are absolute gold yeah. for Facebook, Twitter, showcase, you know, blogs, particularly in the social media space. Who produces those stories? We work with the um, line area to produce it. So we the have policy a, people produce the stories? There, well, there is an, there's a communications person embedded there. Okay. Also, um, the research is done by six research hubs. They're based in universities and they all have communications sections and responsibilities as well. So we've got a really good network of science communicators there. Um, but it comes to our central communications area from the line area mm -hmm. and then we mine that content um, for all sorts of different channels and it can last us for weeks and months. And the beauty of that is that um, most of these stories, some of them would have attracted mainstream media attention. Um, but we would have had yeah. to have put a lot of energy into having a ministerial event or finding a location and then having guests and display materials, you name it, the usual things that go with events and launches. Whereas now we can um, package it up and market it directly and um, find the audiences that would have an interest in it mm -hmm. and probably would be frustrated because they don't read about it in the Sydney Morning Herald or the Daily Telly. Um, but they know they can come to our, <coughs> excuse me, Facebook page or website and find it there. Yep. So it's really, um, it's, it's a very large part of our social media presence is just farming out that, those fascinating stories and facts about the environment and the people who are working in the environment. That's another thing that we've found really terrific about the new environment that we're working in is an opportunity that we've never had before to recognise... Um, the individuals, the Australians around the nation who are active who on the land. You know, they're, they're actually working on all these programs and um, normally they'd be beavering away and they might have a community event or a ministerial visit once in a blue moon. But now we can, we can showcase their work every day, every week. Mm. Um, uh, we have a, one of the uh, social media channels runs a People of NRM based on Humans of New York. Oh, yeah. So we've got... Um, that showcases people who are working on natural resource management projects around the country. And they love it because they tag their friends and their family and so it sort of uh, makes them feel as though they're part of a national effort and a national campaign to save the environment. Now, this is a reasonably newish initiative. Am I right to say yeah, that? Yeah, and it's, that? it's new and it's modest. You know, we still have... We still need to grow our audience a lot bigger. Mm. Um because we've only been in this space for well, less than six months now. We, we started off with Twitter, uh, using Twitter as a broadcast service mainly. Yeah. Um, and what sort of messages would you, would you put through Twitter? You know, Twitter as, is all as our news. news. Oh, we, we'd have okay, all, so the, all the standard... Linky, linking, linking tweets yes, to get people back to... take people back to the website. Okay, right. Um, because you need... People need somewhere to go rather than just having yep. the information floating there in cyberspace. If they want to follow it up, go to the website. Mm -hmm. um, and there's still a lot of work we need 
to do there, mm-hmm. as I think most departments do in that the web space. There's a lot of movement <laughs> government-wide. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, it's baby steps, but Facebook really is, is a terrific medium for us um, because of our content. Yeah. But what's ultimately, you know, the purpose of, of publishing? Well, you know, why, why are you doing this? Yes, it's nice to get the information out there, but, but why? <coughs> well, you know, what's the why and then the objective from a yeah. what point of view? What is Great question. <laughs> and it's one that I've started off saying we should always ask. Yes. That was our objective. So um, I guess the reason why is that we need to um, – well, there are a number of reasons. One is – that the Australian taxpayer needs to know how, yeah. how their dollars being spent in the environment policy. Um, another is that there are, there's a large um, population of people around the nation who are intensely interested in the issues that we cover in environment and energy, and they want to be part of it. They want to know what they can do, where they can go, what's happening. Um, we have intense interest with the, with, from the academic community in what, um, what's... Um, happening in environmental policy. Um, We have a responsibility to get information to a whole range of industry groups about their rights and responsibilities under environment law. And, um, and, you know, groups like farmers, how they can access, how they can access grants, how they can um, ensure that they're not encroaching on threatened species when they're harvesting. I mean, there are a whole range of um, communications objectives that we are hoping to achieve, mm. that actually the mainstream media only op- op- um, offered us quite limited opportunities oh, to course. do so yeah. because you're never going to get that sort of coverage. No, never. And even in the – we have a very strong focus on regional communications as well yeah. because the diversity of the Australian environment means that how you – you know, what you're telling people in um, far north Queensland is m- completely different from what you're talking to Tasmanians about. Um so we really focus on the regional media strongly and we've noticed that while it, uh, there used to be, it used to be the case that, you know, regional rural Australians um, didn't have good enough internet access and they were still stuck with um, regional print. But yeah. that is changing and, um, you know, a lot of those remote communities do have access now. Yeah. And uh, so it's exploring how different sectors use the different channels. But we've got so many more opportunities now, as you said, David, to um, to get the information directly to the people who need it. Yeah. So there's people who need it to get their work done and, and there are peop- there's people who are just interested in it. Mm. Um, and in that latter category, there are a whole range of people who want to see how their local work, what's happening in their local environment, fits in with the national picture. Okay. So they want to see what they're doing if someone's cleaning up a waterway in Wagga or something. Yep. Um, how does that fit with the national water quality agenda? Um, how does it fit with invasive species work that they're doing? Um, are they going to get rid of the carp? If they want to get rid of carp, what's happening there? So it's joining, making those linkages across the country, which is one of our responsibilities. Which is so massively important when you think as, you know, this content communication that you're implementing as an enabler for the mission of the actual department. It is essentially you are building an infrastructure and a capability within the organisation which is really delivering uh, on behalf of um, the organisation. 
is it seen that way or is it just seen as still as a bit of a curiosity and, oh, okay, that's great and, you know, that's Ruth and her guys mm. just playing around or is it seen as this is something that we're going to have to invest in in order for us to achieve our strategic objectives? Have they made the link or is it still something that's uh, just happening over there? I think the links are made in some areas and not in others. Yeah. And there are obviously some people who are, you know, passionately needing, wanting and eager to play in this space. And we did have the Endangered Species Commissioner on this very podcast a few weeks ago. And yeah, he's good value, isn't he? <laughs> we, we are talking so He has drunk the Kool-Aid. <laughs> you, he, could, he you could have him back for <laughs> weekly appearances. He'd be very happy. Well, he's just... Um, he had a he had an amazing post the other day on um, fox control, yeah, and it had two hundred and sixty five thousand likes yeah. in about a week. But isn't he so. ju- um, just the you know the, the perfect person you know with the the right personality, the absolutely right, the right you know, and he is absolutely really a one man thrashing machine. You know, he's a one man CNN almost. You know, he's really he's just won an award <laughs> for it, by the way. Has he? Yeah, the Walter Froggett Award <laughs> for. For, what, does, um, what did Walter do? Walter was amazing. Walter, okay. in, 1930, in the 1930s, Walter was the person who alerted Australia to cane toads. Ah. Yeah, it said, right. watch out, these things are nasty. Yeah, okay. So um, this award was named after him because it's run by the Invasive Species Council. Okay. So it's a science communication. It's an Invasive Species Communicators Award. Ah, okay, great. Yeah. Okay, so Tony Peacock and he's probably put that in place sometimes. Again. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's another great science communicator, by the way, mm. Mr. Peacock. But again, yeah, so getting back to this point of actually, he's a, I should get him on. I'll get him on the show. He's a, mm. he's a character, Tony Peacock. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's it's. I just wonder, though, at times, and we're seeing it more and more. And you know, my my belief is now they're getting it. You know, I, I think you know, and this is a little bit of an editorial, but I gave a, a speech. Uh, a presentation actually, and I won't mention which senior department um, that I gave it to um, at the end of last year, actually just after Trump had won the election. And it was about government communication. And it was talking about where we've been and where we are now and where we're going in terms of we've got to build that you can, you know, this is the gift is that you can now go direct, build, build the channels, build the audiences, et cetera. And how, you know, traditional channels, um, you know, particularly Trump, I think one of the great lessons out of Trump is the media and the effectiveness of media in terms of influence and whether or not that is, and, and it's a very influential channel, um, but obviously was seen to be, you know, they ran 18 months very hard up against, you know, Donald Trump and he still won. Mm, so mm. there's got to be a, you know, recalibration of, you know, the role, what, where do we see the role and how effective is it in terms of a channel to get a message mm. out, uh, advertising the same, you know, fragmentation of channels and all the rest of it. But I, I remember walking in and thinking uh, they were all, everyone was on their phones and on their iPads and I thought, oh, God, you know, it was the senior executives and there's quite there's a big department, there's a lot of them. And I thought, oh, this will be good, no one's going to listen. Fascinated. They were all fascinated because you could see all of these people who are in charge of these large divisions and these large program areas thinking, ah, and it was almost like the light went on, thinking we can actually embed this capability right at the beginning of our processes. So as we're thinking strategically about what we want to achieve, 
how do we make this happen as opposed to communication being, as I call it, the colouring in department at the end, you know, get mm, me the brochure, mm, get me the video, absolutely. get me the whatever. So in terms of, of, of achieving that, what, what's some of your advice to the communicators out there who are doing this sort of work? How, how can you demonstrate to the people who've got the budgets and who've got the, um, the leadership positions that this is, a, this is a, a very, very powerful way that they can start to, you know, help them to achieve those objectives that, you know, that they're working towards? Mm, that's a good question. Um, case studies. Case I would, studies. I would present yep. immediately um, in policy areas that are as close to the ones that you're targeting as possible. Yep. People like us. People like us. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, I'm just sort of thinking that if you're... I mean, there is there is a really strong appetite across government, I think, to do it now. Yep. But there's still a lot of... Um, nervousness about the risks attached. So reassuring people that um, you can manage conversations without massive resource implications um, is possible and that you can act quickly and responsively. It's not going to require lengthy approval process. You can trust your communicators. And I think if you start off with a, um, a very clear strategy that outlines the objectives that you want to achieve, who you're going to talk to, and um, you're very clear about what sort of tone and um, identity you want for the page, um, then you'll be much more likely to convince them that it's a strategic... Yeah. But would you agree with me yes. that, that, that that movement is certainly well and truly on? And oh, yeah. While still people are... And I think, you know, tactically people are opening up channels all over the place and I think there is still a distance to travel before they are strategic, where they are thinking, well, hang on, before we start the doing, because often I find that that's what you come into places and they're doing lots of stuff, but Mm, there's no mm. understanding of the why and the what and the audience and they haven't really done the heavy lifting before they've, you know, flicked open a few channels and started pushing, you know, whatever out there and they've not really thought too clearly about that. No, that's right. Um, But we'll get there. Um, But, yeah, I'm – yeah, but, but the next stages, where, where is the next stage for you? How do you improve what you're doing at the moment? 12 months' time. Okay, sorry. Well, I'll interrupt you and ask you one more, another question. We're sitting here in 12 months' time. What's happened? What's different for you today in 12 months' time? What, what are the changes you've been able to make within your organisation that is helping you to do a better job or you are doing a, demen- a demonstrably better job? <clears throat> well, I think we'd be able to show that our audience would be much, 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 much larger and yeah. we'd be able to have um, done some demographic analysis of who those people are and um, some some really sort of a deep dive into research of yeah. how, not only how their attitudes are changing but what actions are they taking. Yeah. So we'd need to, we need to integrate our strategies much more. Um, I mean, integrate all, with who? Well, we need to integrate across line areas, but also across functions. Yeah, people do tend to silo um, not just the you know, not just the issues. You know, there's the age old, the holy grail is having integrated policies, but we also need to integrate our functions more effectively so that um, our digital service delivery people are joined up with our policy people. Yeah, and that um, we can you know, cross 
promote on each other's channels and we don't see media, traditional media, as being completely different from social media because there's so much interaction between the two. And again, um, similarly with the the web, web content because people often see these things as discrete activities um, and they may have even an audio-visual function that isn't part of their strategic plan. Um, so, so it's really about getting everyone together early, isn't it? You know, it's about really getting everyone, the right people in the room, developing a strategy that everyone agrees to and then implementing, measuring, having your benchmarks, going back and measuring again to see what sort of impacts yep. are taking place and, and taking working it from there. across departments too. Yeah. You know, I think there's lots more we could do in terms of talking to each other about shared experiences and best practice and all the rest of it. Yeah. And also piggybacking on each other's channels because, I mean, um, nobody has sole ownership yeah. of any channels these days. They're all, they're all shared yeah. one way or another. Yeah. Um, and uh, it always amazes me when I go to social media conferences how quickly things change. You think, oh, I only went to one six months ago. Yeah. It's going to be the same old, same old. <laughs> and no, it's usually completely different. They've moved into completely different areas or there's new... Yeah. New research, yeah. Um, new channels. Some are on the ebb. Some are on the flow. Don't you feel lucky though? I just feel mm. so grateful that I happen to stumble into this career, and I happen to stumble into this period of you know where there is so much change, and you, and you do have to stay. It keeps you alive because you know you're so engaged in it. There's so much happening, and it's That's so right. much of a challenge. And ultimately, government communication is about you know you're trying to help. You're trying to sort of make communities stronger. You're trying to improve a lot of things for people. You're trying to – so there's a real mission-led yeah, that's you know, right. stuff and, that sits behind what we're doing. And a lot of it for us is making things available to people. Yeah. You know, well, that's we, it. You know, there's vast stores mm. of resources and information and expertise, as you say, in that even just your department, like it's a treasure trove. Mm, it is and a lot of it's – Hitherto been been yeah, locked up. Point. It's been that's locked really, up and it's been curated internally. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so, exactly. we're having a great time, thank you very much. Yeah. But a lot of the people out there don't even know, yeah. you know, what's what we've got at their what yeah. they've got at their fingertips. Yeah. For example, I mean, you know, the citizen science groups around the country. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you mentioned those um, when we caught up the other week. You know, there's so many people who are passionately and, you know, actively yeah. engaged in local projects. Yes. And they've got Access to on their phones, they can collect data, they can transmit data, they can give photos. You know, it's just so much content that they can generate. Yeah. But our responsibility at the other side is to make what we've got available for them. Yeah. So if they're yeah. frog watching, yeah. they can go and see how their frog watching yeah. matches with national yeah. databases and yeah. whether they yeah. that particular frog is on the threatened species database. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much potential for the yeah. for them to work with us on that. Uh, yeah. That's a, and that's a really interesting way, I think, of thinking about it, isn't it? It's about sort of opening up. How do we open up so people can come in? And this whole, you know, transparency of government, mm. open government. Um, anyway, lots to talk about um, into the future, which we will no doubt talk again. There's a few things there that we could go on, but uh, I'm already a bit over time looking at the timer over there. So sorry if you... Um, it's funny how people consume the content uh, sometimes is that uh, I've, we've got one of our most dedicated listeners who who walks to work and she likes it to be 30 minutes long, thank you, because <laughs> I don't like because when I get to work I want it to be finished. Fair enough. Um, so, so, Kylie, sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, but I'm sure you were uh, worth um, sticking around. Uh, but listen, yeah, some interesting things. Uh, really interesting and thank you very much. Ruth has a jo- uh, agreed to join the um, advisory group. 
um, who are going to be pushing and pulling and testing and prodding and challenging the uh, content communication project that we have underway with the Australian National University in terms of building out that uh, plan. So thank you very much for that. Um, we're putting a good team together of people who are at a municipal level, state level, uh, federal level, uh, multilateral level and international governments as well getting involved. So that's going to be great because I think it's a – even as we talk, I think you're going to see again how, how it's going to be uh, – it's going to be of assistance. So that should be a great project for us. So thanks, Ruth, for getting involved in that. Um, and if you are interested in that research program, uh, jump online, www.contentgroup.com.au forward slash research. Uh, we're going to have a lot more information over the next few months about where we're at with that. So if you want to stay up to date, uh, please give us your email address. Uh, and yeah, thank you very much. And thanks for coming in. Uh, yeah, so it's going to be a good year. Yeah? Well, it'll be very exciting. Yeah, lots to do. Lots to do. So um, thanks again. Good luck with everything over at the Department of Environment. And to you, the audience, thanks very much for turning up once again. I love doing these podcasts, as you know. Always so many interesting people to talk to. So have a great week. I'll be back at the same time next week. So for the moment, bye for now. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content communication in the public sector. For more, visit us at contentgroup.com.au dot au